1: And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm
0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I come today in the name of Jesus. What I have to say to you is not to be taken lightly. Consider carefully what I will say. Some of you do not like it when I share stories as I did yesterday. You say, just teach us the Bible, Pastor. Unfortunately, just teaching you the Bible has not caused you to dramatically change your behavior. There has to be a change. We are coming to the end. The greatest danger America faces is, of course, sin. But then also the implosion of our financial world, of the debt market. And we are right on the cusp of that happening. And some of you still think that everything is normal, that you're going to go along as you've always gone along, that things may get a little bit more difficult, but bottom line, you're okay and you're on your way to heaven. But you don't cry out to God. If you do not learn and practice crying out to God, you are in a desperate situation. Now, I'm going to share with you more of Guy Bevington today because the Holy Spirit has led me to do so. This book was written and published back in the 1920s. He ministered at the turn of the century in Kentucky, Ohio, different parts of the Midwest. He was utterly given over to Jesus Christ. He was a saint of God. And he says some things to us that we need to hear, that we might put into practice, that would cause a total revolution in our lives and in our hearts, and would set us free. He's been preaching in one area, and at the conclusion of that series of meetings, he's been invited by members of a Methodist church to come some distance to their church. And he has said, no, I can't do that until your pastor comes and invites me. And so they pressured their pastor to come and invite him to preach. The problem is, the pastor said he could not preach on holiness to sinners. But then he very quickly told him that the 350 members of his church were all saved. I recently had a Methodist preacher tell me the same thing. Everyone in my church is saved. I doubt that even he is saved. That was certainly the case that I'm going to share with you today. There's nothing more destructive Than for a man or woman to believe that they are saved when they are lost, when they are deceived regarding the true condition of their heart before Almighty God. And this is not for me to tell someone, this is for the Holy Spirit to tell someone. It's not for me to say who is saved and who is lost. I'm not the judge. I simply have to speak what the Lord gives me to speak. Well, he had not been at this church, but two or three meetings, and the pastor contacted him and canceled the series of meetings. And the members rose up and arranged a home where they could go that would seat almost as many as their little church building would seat. Now I'm going to begin sharing with you this story. That night, after he had finished his last meeting in the church house, he went to the home where he was lodging. He found the house darkened and the suitcases sitting out by the gate. I took that for a pretty good hint, picked up my suitcase, and started out like Abraham, not knowing where to go. I could have gone, I suppose, to any of those four families, who had so kindly invited me to come, but I didn't know where they lived. God did not want me to go there anyway, as he had a better place for me. By my staying where I ended up, he got far more glory than if I'd found any of these other people's homes. I was trudging on in the snow. It was very cold so cold that men had been cutting solid ice, 22 inches thick, out of a pond. It didn't take long for me to tire and set the grip down, and I asked the Lord, Where am I going? What's that to thee? Follow thou me? was the only answer I could get. Right. I sighed and picked up the grips and started on. I found myself in sort of a lane, Where there were great furrows that had been cut in the road from drawing corn. It was about 10 p.m. in the evening. It was dark. I went down and found that it was exceedingly difficult to even walk. I'd get in these deep ruts, they were filled with snow, and I would fall, cutting myself so that my face was bleeding in several places. My hands were so icy cold, I could barely stand it. I said again, "Oh God, where am I going? Again came the same answer, what is that to thee? So on I trudged until I saw what appeared to be a great mound in the road, As I was looking down to try to avoid those ruts, I forgot that mound and ran into it. It proved to be a straw stack. A voice said, this is the place. I said, all right. I threw off my warm coat and went to pulling straw, which helped me to get nicely warmed up. I pulled straw until I was back inside that stack some 12 feet, about three feet above the ground, so as to be warm. I packed the straw down, took in my suitcase, put on my coat, and dropped down on my back and lay my head on one of the small suitcases for a pillow. Very pleased, I said, well, praise God. I don't reckon Jesus ever had a much better place than this, and probably most of the time not nearly so good. At that, the straw stack was lighted up, and I beheld the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. It looked just like crystallized straws, nearly as large as my little finger, lying in all positions, crossing each other to form a beautiful network. I was frightened and feared I'd gotten a match lighted while pulling the straw. My fears were soon banished, however, for I threw up my hands, and there was nothing except cold straw. Beloved, I will never be able, this side of heaven, to explain or draw a worthy picture of that scene and the dazzling going on down in my soul. I've often thought it was a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. We are taught down here to view things according to certain laws. The appearance of those straws did not allow the working of any natural law as each was apart from the other, yet they did not appear to touch one another. I've thought many times that herein is our trouble. We see things down here under the light of natural law. God often breaks through the natural order of things, completely setting the natural aside. So we often fail to get the real import of what he's doing. That experience in that cold stack of straw has been a great help to me many times, enabling me to accept things that I would have formerly rejected on philosophical grounds. While God does work through natural laws, I found he has special lessons for us which often go far beyond the natural laws. I've also learned that ruts are dangerous channels to travel. God wants us pliable so he can twist us up and toss us here and yonder. He wants us to be able to recognize his hand, though it appears to be cloaked in other garb or moving apart from those ways in which similar incidents have appeared. There's no doubt that God would give us wonderful revelations if he could get us in condition to receive his revelation. I'm assured the deeper lessons God wanted us to have are all in the line of the apparently ridiculous. They're not on the public highway, and the casual traveler never sees them, for they're not on his route. These lessons are learned on the unreasonable, out-of-the-ordinary routes, generally routes similar to my getting into this straw stack. I learned an invaluable lesson from that, when I told this to dear Reverend John Fleming, he literally burst out crying as he said, Brother Bevington, I would have given a hundred dollars to see that straw stack when it was so wonderfully lit up. Had I appealed to reason as I came up against that stack when the thermometer was registering about 20 degrees back to the house, Everything would have stood against such proceedings. My natural thoughts would have produced this kind of argument. God has set forth his laws which require obedience relative to taking care of our bodies. I do not accept this stack of straw as the place he wants me to be. He's called me to preach and said the labor is worthy of his hire. I'm his child, Mr. Devil. And I'm not going to allow you to run me into such a place as this to bring on a tremendous cold or pneumonia, which would more than likely cause my premature death. (laughs) Thus, I could quite logically have reasoned this all out, though had I done so, I would have lost one of the grandest lessons of my life. We need to get where we will be willing to ignore all the laws of logic in order to get some of the private lessons the Lord has for us. Just those few words of acquiescence to his will, when I said, I suppose Jesus never had a better bed than this, gave me one of the grandest visions I've ever beheld. Those few words speak volumes, which have enabled me to store up great quantities of knowledge of his will relative to me. Well I lay there wrapped in great splendor until I struck a match and looked at my watch to see that it was 4:30 a.m. I turned over and went to sleep. And when I woke up and struck a match again I found it was 5:30 p.m. I crawled out, shook off the chaff, used my handkerchief for a towel after washing well in the snow. And I started back to the house that had been offered for us to continue the meetings. I found 25 people there with saws and horses. They'd been drawing logs and sawing them into blocks for seats. Both rooms were nearly seated. I said to the man of the house, "'Are these two rooms all you have?' Surprised at my question, he said, "'But these will hold more than the schoolhouse.' Is there another room upstairs? I persisted. Yes, it's sort of an unfinished attic. What do you want to do up there? I want a place to pray. Then I spied a door on the ceiling and asked, Can I get up through there? He said, There isn't any floor and it will be cold. Well, just let me get up there. So he got a ladder and up I went. I got close to the large chimney lying across the joist "'and burst into great sobs. "'I just lay there and wept. "'I ignored the increasing noise downstairs, "'supposing they were finishing up seating. "'Finally, I struck a match "'and saw that it was 9.30 p.m. "'I got up and went downstairs. "'I found over a hundred people waiting for me. "'I had no message I only had a great burden that souls be brought under such conviction that they would see their real condition and fly to the Son of God for refuge. Stop a moment. This has been what my wife and myself have been crying out before God. We've been crying out and asking God to bring such conviction upon your heart that you would get on your face before almighty God and begin to cry out regarding your own life and your own heart and your own wickedness and that he would come and he would change you. There was some unoccupied space where I landed from the attic, so I dropped down on my face again. In about 30 minutes, the preacher's son came to me and whispered, aren't you going to preach? There are over a hundred people here waiting. I exhorted him and the rest to pray, but he said, there's no one here who can do any good at prayer. You've spoiled all of us. The only prayer that any of us ought to pray is the prayer of repentance. I thought that was about right. So I got up and said, brethren, this great battle must be fought out on your faces. I have no message to preach. You've had too much preaching. I have only a burden of prayer that each of you may be brought face to face with your real condition as God sees you. I beg you to fly for your lives to the Son of God, who has made provision for your complete deliverance from all sin. That's what we've been praying for you. We're so as Americans, so filled with self-sufficiency and pride and arrogance. We think we can whittle away at our spiritual life and slowly improve. No, no. It's time to get to God. We don't have much time left. I crawled out of the window nearest me and made a beeline for my straw house. I lay on my face to plead and weep and moan and groan and wrestle all night. When I finally struck a match, I found that it was 5.30 a.m. I fell asleep until late that afternoon, and then I crawled out and took another wash in the snow. It was still freezing. And went back to the house where I still found 75 people. More than 20 were down praying as if they really meant business, some on their faces sobbing, others kneeling and praying, others with heads up pleading and weeping, others walking where they could find room, all that crowd pleading for mercy, mind you. These were the saved people from the church, and among them, the son and daughter of the pastor, I raised the window and crawled back in as there was no room to get in at the door. I climbed up the ladder into the attic. I got on my face across those joists, close to that warm chimney. After a while, the man of the house crawled up the ladder and he said, It's after eight o'clock. They all want you to come down and preach. Tell them all to go on praying. I'm afraid they'll get tired of this, leave and not return, and then all of the work will will be lost. Here was more logic to contend with, but I remained where I was. I could hear them praying and singing. About 10 p.m., I went down and found about 40 in real soul agony. These included the pastor's son and daughter, both of whom had been testifying to being saved for several years, I could see God was working, and I knew how foolish it would be for me to try to take the work out of his hands. I raised the window and slipped back out to my private quarters in the straw stack to plead with God for them. I got back on my face and struggled and agonized and wrestled and wept and held on, expecting God to work wonders. I struck a match and found it was six in the morning, so I rolled over and slept the whole day again. I had another good wash in the snow and shook myself and started for the meeting. I found about 200 people there, most of them in great misery." One man said his wife met him outside and began to tell me about the trouble they were having with their bad neighbor. I said, go inside, get down on your face and plead for mercy. Throw throw open your hearts to God and get honest before him. Let him examine you. Well, they did so. Another came to me saying, what shall I do? I said, get right with God. Why, I'm a good member in this church. I repeated again get right with God, repent, get yourself properly fixed up, then matters can be more easily adjusted. Two sisters were the next to unload the terrible meanness of their neighbor, saying, We want you to pray for them, as they're a terror to the whole neighborhood. You too are the ones who need praying for. Never mind those neighbors. Get right yourselves. Go through with God. Shocked, they informed me. "What, well, Mr. Bevington, we are members in good standing in this church. Well, you are all the worse for that. We want to get our children saved. My son and daughter-in-law and daughter and son-in-law. Then get in there and get down on your faces and deal with God directly, not with Bevington. There's no room inside. I could hardly believe their excuses. Make room then. Go into the kitchen if you have to. Well, the kitchen is crammed full. I said loudly, go in, go in, go in. I left these Self-righteous complainers and went to my window, crawled in and slipped up the ladder. Only a few saw me, but soon the man of the house came and said, "'There are about three hundred people.' I finally went down and found many on their knees pleading. The man's son was crying as he said, "'Oh, won't you please preach? I'm so miserable and I need help. Please tell me what to do. My sister is weeping too, as if her heart were broken.' There was only room to stand right at the ladder. So there I began my text. Prepare to meet thy God. I believe that never before nor since have I delivered such a message as was given during those 40 minutes. Everyone was writhing in great agony. Some walking and screaming. Only about 60 could kneel. But they were doing good work. Oh, God. You did send out the lightning bolts in great torrents. Feeling I had done all God wanted me to do, I hoisted the window and made my way to my accommodations. I crawled into the familiar straw cave and got on my face and could nothing but cry and groan and plead all night again. Then I slept until that evening again. After taking another cold ice bath, I started back to the house and found about 60 people there. I stopped and stood at the ladder. As I waited there, the pastor came in and he began to lash me with his tongue, calling me about all the names in the catalog. I was somewhat accustomed to such verbal expressions, so they did not disturb my equilibrium, and I just remained speechless through it all. He finally wound up by ordering every one of his members out of there with the command never to return. Well, they all arose and followed him out except his son, the man in the family of the house, and one other man in his family. I think it was about 16 who left. Suddenly I felt like preaching, and so I did, on the judgment and wrath of God. The son, the man of the house, and his wife and the other, they prayed through by early morning. We had a blessed time, and that son did some wonderful preaching. That night before the pastor had taken his daughter by the dress collar and dragged her out of the meeting, threatening to punish her severely if she ever returned, the son was too big for that kind of treatment, so the pastor had to go off without him. I slipped out, went to my straw hotel where I wept until noon, and then went to sleep. I awakened that evening and went out for another snow bath in my large bathroom. I went back to the house and found that only 22 were there, but all 22 were down pleading for mercy except those who had gotten through, and they were now seeking complete sanctification. The pastor's daughter was there again. I felt led to remain all night with them, so I stayed until 3 a.m., and then went upstairs. Soon the woman of the house came up and said, I think I'm going to throw all those blocks out and clean the whole thing up. I'm convinced I'm all right. The pastor says I am because I've been a member of this church for years. You're just making fools out of all of us, my husband, my son, and my daughter. I said, woman, Get down those steps as quickly as you can and start screaming for mercy or you may be in hell within 20 minutes. With a look of real shock on her face, back down she went with me right behind her. I tell you, she changed her tune and in 40 minutes she struck fire. She did some real preaching. And then I slipped back off to my headquarters in the straw stack. Now this brings me to the eighth day. Very early that morning, the pastor's daughter got through. And in the evening, she said, Brother Bevington, I've disobeyed my father for the first time in my life. I had to come here as I feared I would lose my soul. Please pray I may be willing and able to endure my punishment. She well knew the temper of her father. I said, all right. I'll go up into the attic and plead your case. You be loyal to what you have received. So up I went. Let's stop for a minute. You think this is craziness? Do you think this is insanity? I know this is beyond what any of you have probably ever experienced what's he mean when he say they struck fire well when they come fully into the lord their whole soul is enlivened it is set on fire with the glory of almighty god this is a place most of you have never even begun to go and you need to go there you need to get right with god I'm going to continue crying out for you. I'm going to ask Jesus to put such a conviction in your heart that you are done with American religion. That instead you're going to go after Jesus Christ. You want the fullness with him. You want the Holy Spirit to come. You want to get right with God. Well, Pastor, isn't there another way to get through and get right with God? And where in the scriptures does it say that we should cry out to God with such agony? Have you looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was a man without sin, but he sweat blood. He cried aloud. He agonized before God. He didn't want to die. He pleaded that there be another way. There is no other way to get through. It is we must cry aloud to God and get so serious that we can, like Jesus, say, Thy will, not my will, be done. See, that's the battle. You've always had your way. You've always been in charge of you. What Bevington is describing in this book, Remarkable Miracles by Guy Bevington, what he's describing here is something totally unlike anything most of you have experienced in your life. And for many of you, it's foolishness and you've already turned it off. And that's okay. I'm praying God goes after every person who started listening to this broadcast. I'm crying out to God. I'm pleading with Him to put such a passion in your heart that you will go after Jesus with all of your heart. I'm tired of tame religion. I don't want it. I'm tired of the of the church calendar. I'm tired of the celebrations. I'm I'm tired of the special musics. I'm tired of this cultural religion that leaves you dead in your inner being. Oh, it's time to get to Jesus. She and her brother had about a mile to walk home. He was seeking sanctification. But as he had a whole lot to undo, it was somewhat tedious I was pleading that the experience of the two would so melt the father, he would be compelled to surrender. Finally, I felt the burden gone. Light was breaking as I raised up off those sleepers, praising God for the daughter's victory. I went back to my straw stack, this being the ninth morning. I had not yet had a mouthful to eat or lay on anything except straw and sleepers. When I returned that night, the man of the house met me outside and he asked Brother Bevington, Where are you staying? I said, That's none of your business. Now, see here, it is my business and I'm going to make it so. I went today to the Reynolds, where I supposed you were stopping, and they said you were not there. I went to all the places where there would be any likelihood of your being, and none of them knew where you were staying now tell me i repeated it's none of your business go in there and pray through and get the holy spirit no sir i'm not going in there until you tell me so i just pointed in the direction of the straw stack wife this man has been sleeping and staying in that straw stack Where have you been going to get your meals? I just pointed to the skies. So he called to his wife. This man hasn't had a mouthful to eat for two weeks. As I was listening to his quizzing, here came the pastor, wild-eyed and bareheaded, speeding through the snow in his cutter. His son and daughter were with him, and the sleigh bells were ringing like crazy, he was being sifted. Oh, I want God to sift you. I want God to sift you. I want you to get right with Jesus. No matter what the cost, I want you to get right with Jesus. And and don't pretend you're right when your heart cannot cry out to God. Don't pretend. The son and daughter had arrived home and gone into the room where he was sleeping. Believing his daughter to be upstairs in her bed, she called out to him and said, Father, I disobeyed you last night. I just had to go back up there or go to hell. Now, Father, I'm ready and prepared for my punishment. The son was standing at her side with his head bowed, pleading for the salvation of his father and for that salvation to be the means of an end. "'Go to bed and leave me alone,' the father said. "'No, father, I want my punishment. I disobeyed you, and I'm ready.' At that he gave a yell, bounded out of bed, and fell on his knees and began to cry for mercy.' The son and the daughter dropped on their faces, and in ten minutes their mother climbed out of bed too, and she cried, "Oh, children, pray for me too. I need what I believe you both have. So they wrestled in prayer until the following afternoon, when the mother prayed through. The father did not get through. He asked us back to the church that night. But as both rooms were full... We held a meeting in our usual place that night. I preached on the text, If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. And God gave me a blessed message. The mother prayed through early the next morning, but the father still did not get through. As soon as it was daylight, he hitched up and went to every one of those men and women who he called out of there and asked them to please forgive him. It took him three days to make the circuit, but he did it. He said that at the first house he went to, he asked for forgiveness and invited the people to come out to the meeting. They closed the door, and he started to leave when a voice said, "'And is that all?' He looked around, saw no one anywhere near him. Not being used to the voice of God, he became quite puzzled. By the time he reached the gate, he heard the same voice again with the same words— He said that he had to go back and fall on his knees before these people and really ask their forgiveness. He gladly knelt and asked forgiveness of all of the 300 members of his church. Well, we moved the meetings back to the church, and we spent three wonderful weeks there. As my straw stack experience had prepared me for a good meal i had it at the parsonage i continued to eat only one meal a day during those three weeks he only preached two sermons during this whole encounter the rest of the time he just lay on his face on the platform day and night the pastor's wife son and daughter prayed through and got sanctified you hear what i'm saying today it's time to really get serious with jesus it's time to honestly hear what the lord is saying to us i apologize there's a man working a weed eater outside of my window but it's all right i don't mind The important thing is not what you hear now. The important thing is what you're going to do with what you have heard. Are you going to get down on your face before God and begin to be honest? And I can tell you right now, when you get down on your face, the first thing you're going to run into is you're not going to be able to say a word. Why? Because you're used to praying little polite prayers to Jesus. You're not used to being really honest with Him and laying it all out in all of its ugliness. You're going to have to get down on your face before Almighty God and get serious. How do you do that? Well, it's not very complicated. You just lay down on the floor or you sit on your chair and you pray. And you say, Jesus, please, would you help me to be honest with you? I've been a pretend Christian. I need you to hear the cry of my heart. I want to be right with you. I don't want to go to hell I need to come through in victory. I need to strike, as Bevington said, that fire of the Holy Spirit where I am just totally taken over and changed by your presence. I've talked to so many people about Jesus. And they're so casual, so laid back, so intellectually shallow. No, it's time to go beyond the intellectual. It's time to go beyond what you think you know about Jesus and begin to honestly lay out what the true condition of your heart is. Where do you go? What do you eat for your food, your soul food? Are you eating today's world? The news, the videos, the TikToks, the cell phone, the work, the money, your lifestyle? Or does God direct every step of your life? Have you utterly given yourself over to Jesus? Lord, I come today. Asking, please, that you would come into the heart and life of each one of us and you would reveal to us every dishonest thing, that you would reveal to us our pride and our arrogance before you. I ask that you would bring such conviction of soul regarding our condition before a mighty and holy God That we would be cast down before you and cry aloud for your mercy and seek your face with all of our heart. That we would not pretend to be so sophisticated and so wise that we just cling to our intellectual understanding of the gospel, but Lord, make it real for us. Lord, I don't like to do funerals for people that I know are hell-bound. Lord, many who are listening to this broadcast today need a total change of their hearts. They have given themselves to their work, to their family, to their pets, to their entertainment. They've given themselves to their ambitions and to their iniquities, to their wickedness, to their sexual uncleanness. Lord, would you come and redeem your people? Lord, would you come and redeem your people? Would you come and move in power? Lord, I know that the words I speak may cause a man or woman to feel a slight, sense of of judgment, a slight sense of need. But Lord, I know that will never do the job. You're going to have to breathe your Holy Spirit upon every person listening and show them, oh God, what they must become in you if they're going to enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, I plead your mercy today. I plead your mercy today. Lord, how is it possible that a man can be saved walking in his own arrogance, in his own knowledge, preserving his pride, being unwilling to humble his heart before you? Lord, how is it that a man can be saved and be ashamed to be heard praying to the one who holds his very life in his hands lord would you come would you hear the cry of our hearts i thank you for the work you're doing in every person listening right now and i ask lord that that work would be would be finished whatever it takes whatever The process needs to be for them to turn and be revived by your spirit and begin to be serious about their life with you, Jesus, and stop playing games with you and stop the entertainment and and search after you, Jesus, because you're the only one worth searching after. Lord, you're the only one worth searching after. So I come today, Jesus, saying, please, Have mercy. Breathe upon this radio broadcast. Breathe by your spirit and bend us and break us and humble our hearts before you, Jesus. And Lord, forgive those who get so angry and just turn it off and say, I don't want to listen to that crackpot. Lord, forgive them and go after them. Sift them, Lord. Lord, sift every person listening to this broadcast today. Bring them into great conviction before your throne. Have your way. Oh, Lord God, have your way. Have your way. Lord, I know a great storm is about to break upon America. I know we're facing a terrible time of of famine where nothing works as it should. Many, I know, will lose their jobs. Lord, it's going to be a time of terror, a time of violence, a time of death. And I know the only hope, the only shelter for this storm is to be found in you, Jesus. I know if you don't cover us with your wing, we will not survive. Lord, I pray today that you will cover my brothers and sisters with your wing, that you will protect us from the enemy, and that you will give us this very short time necessary to cry out before you, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Chris. We just received your offering this morning. Thank you, Richard, for your offering. We've come to the end of the month, and we need to cover the radio bill. I'm trusting God to move in your heart. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley. That's Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. If you are prepared to get serious in prayer with Jesus, then I invite you to come. We're not a large group, but we're people who are serious about Jesus. And if that is the cry of your heart, then come. You can find us at five thousand nine Softwood Lane, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's five thousand nine Softwood Lane, Woodbridge, Virginia, two two one nine two. I also invite you to go online to National dot You can give online and help carry us. We are on this radio and on this YouTube by the grace of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to support this ministry, please act now. God bless you, my brother my sister. Share this message with a friend. And I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Great
1: joy with great joy Now unto him who was able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of
0: his glory with great joy with we